Joining us here in the studio for the news briefing is Tramira Mira. Good morning. Good morning, Henry. So we begin with the COVID-19 updates as always. Now I think most of our daily updates with COVID-19 will include some updates on the vaccination programs because mm-hmm, it is yeah. a part of our daily lives now. But before we get into what is the first couple of days of Uh, vaccination programs across the country, Uh, we should get an update on the numbers. We've been now in a fairly consistent pattern of fluctuating between 300 to 400 new infections per day. Um, We are still fighting this uh, so-called third wave of virus infections. And I guess it does look like, although we would like to see the numbers get lower and lower, and hopefully the vaccine helps on that front, And we haven't at least gotten worse. And I guess we can look Mm -hmm. at the glasses half full. What are the latest numbers? Yeah, the country has been battling this third wave for quite a long time. And uh, there were 355 new cases confirmed yesterday. It was the second straight day that the country saw the daily number come below 400, largely due to fewer tests being carried out during the holiday weekend. And of those new cases, 338 were local infections, and 17 were imported ones, raising the total caseload to 90,029. The KDCA confirmed two more deaths, bringing the death toll to 1,605, and 14 more cases of more transmissible COVID-19 variants, taking the total to 156. The country confirmed 253 new cases as of 6 p.m. yesterday, 59 fewer from the same time a day ago. So now we get the update on the vaccination program. So far, so good. Now, I know Mm -hmm. that there's this, I've been talking about this for a while, but there's this desire by some elements of the media to really try to play up that is something going to happen? Is Mm -hmm. is there a catastrophe waiting? And you get these daily numbers of, how many people get infected, but then you're also getting this daily tally of who's showing symptoms or side effects of Mm -hmm. the virus. Up till now, and I think you're going to point this out as we go through this, you got a flu vaccine, millions of people take the flu vaccine, you get some people who will have nausea or dizziness or things. That's all part of the course. And up till now, we don't see anything quite out of the ordinary with the current vaccination with COVID-19 in terms of uh, side effects. So we don't have anything uh, of note to kind of point out, which is good news. But overall, how would you say vaccination is going? Uh, The KDCA said a total of 20,322 people have received vaccinations for the first two days of the vaccine rollout, with 20,022 getting their first shots of the two-dose AstraZeneca vaccine and 300 the first shots of Pfizer vaccine. Of them, 112 people, or 0.5%, reported mild side effects such as headaches, fever, and nausea, with 111 from those who got AstraZeneca shot and one from Pfizer. The KDCA did say uh, those symptoms are the body's typical and natural response to a vaccine, and there were no cases of severe reactions such as anaphylaxis, a serious allergic reaction that could cause death. The 0.5% falls within the normal range, given the average uh, 0.1 to 0.5% adverse reaction rates. And that's according to Om Jung-sik, a professor in the infectious 
Infectious Disease Division at Gacheon University Gil Hospital. Mm-hmm. And there could be more reaction reports uh, from the COVID-19 vaccines because of the high public attention. And Chun Eun-mi, a professor in the pulmonology division at Ihua Women's University Mokdong Hospital, said the health authorities need to reassure the public uh, by giving a detailed explanation on why the side effects occur because we are still in the early stages of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout that could last until the end of the year. Right. So you could say, well, the government does need to be clear as to uh, Mm -hmm. the side effects that are going on and uh, tell them that um, this is either par for the course or this is unusual. I think uh, there is no argument against transparency. Um, There could be an argument against overly maybe emphasizing and exaggerating that there is a danger here because even if you look at the numbers, 112 um, showing symptoms and then right away the number that pops out is 111 are from AstraZeneca and Mm -hmm. one are from Pfizer. It kind of plays into the narrative that um, there is something to worry about with the AstraZeneca vaccine Mm -hmm. because that's how the media has been trying to report this. Look at the numbers, though, clearly. 20,000, over 20,000 shots already given of AstraZeneca, only 300 yet of Pfizer. So there's that disparity. And there are some experts who believe that there is a psychosomatic symptom effect with a lot of people who report the symptoms Mm -hmm. as well. It's not to say that you can't, you just discount what they say, but there might be a psychological effect of, I got the vaccine, it's the AstraZeneca vaccine. Do I feel a little nauseous? Like Mm -hmm. if I gave you a shot and I said, oh, I just gave you this Mm -hmm. shot that's going to make you throw up, but it was actually just very, you know, a placebo. But you might psychologically start feeling, oh, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, my my stomach feels kind of funny. So all of this aside, everything is rolling out so far so good. Uh, Certainly if there are going to be more severe uh, cases like anaphylaxis, as you've pointed out, we do have to uh, have that be noted and, of course, uh, make sure we get the care needed and, of course, have people who are healthy enough to receive the vaccine uh, be the ones who get it. And we'll continue to update our listeners as the uh, important vaccine rollout continues here in Korea. We also have some good news on the uh, coronavirus relief fund issue. Uh, there are many people who have been waiting for government aid. And now it looks like that time is near because the ruling party and the government has raised a ceiling of emergency aid and set up a more specific criteria to cover as many people as possible. That's right. The ruling Democratic Party's policy committee had Hong Yik-pyo said during a radio show yesterday that the maximum relief payment could reach up to 6.5 million won. He did also elaborate on detailed criteria, saying that 5 million won will be given to small businesses that were forced to shut down for the entire month of January, 4 million to those who were able to reopen their businesses provided that they comply with the government's updated social distancing regulations and 3 million won to those operating under social distancing restrictions. For the first time, around 40,000 street vendors registered to the local governments will be receiving the emergency handouts. And regarding some criticism that they should be excluded from the funding program because they don't pay taxes, Hong said uh, the relief money is given regardless of the the amount of taxes people pay and that it's being offered uh, to help those suffering the most as a society. And he also said uh, 
a tax hike is not under consideration at this moment to fund the fourth round of COVID-19 relief funds. And as for the Loss Compensation Act for small merchants, he said he hopes it could pass the National Assembly within this month and go into effect as early as July. Well, just one issue here that uh, should be noted is, again, there seems to be a concerted effort to Because this is largely going to be a ruling party government plan and the opposition doesn't really have the votes to try to block it if they Mm -hmm. wanted to, um, there are are going to be efforts to try to pick apart and create controversies within this. And it seems like they have decided, uh, the conservatives as well as conservative media have decided that giving street vendors the money is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And so they're raising this uh, kind of stink about... You poor people who don't pay taxes, why do you get the money when us hardworking people who Mm. pay taxes, you know, are also suffering? And so this is just kind of government waste and spending. Uh, You you mentioned what Hong Yik-pil said. Other ruling party uh, lawmakers have said the same thing. Just because you don't pay taxes doesn't mean you're a bad person. It may actually mean you are in a much dire situation than other people just Mm -hmm. because you're not making enough to pay taxes does not mean you're automatically a deadbeat. And and the fact that um, somebody says, I pay taxes, I don't want to give money to anybody who doesn't or I don't want the government to give money to anybody who doesn't pay taxes, it really is almost... It could be considered selfish, but it really is a very cruel thing to think about when you have fellow members of society that are desperate and struggling and may need help more than you do. And because they don't pay taxes, they're not supposed to get any government Mm -hmm. help. And so it's a a philosophical argument. Some people might have a reasonable disagreement on that, but uh, uh, that is the direction that the government and the ruling party has decided to go. Separately, the government is also going to offer loan services to small businesses. Yes, the Ministry of SMEs and Startups said yesterday that it will receive loan applications from small businesses until March 12th. And to prevent a system overload, it will receive applications for special loans, facility support loans, and social enterprise loans this week until the 5th, and then receive applications from firms uh, striving innovation, establishing smart facilities, and engaging in urban management business next week. And for those uh, who have difficulties uh, in paying their rent, the ministry is also offering up to 10 million worth loans to relieve them of rent burden. All right. So good news. Help is on the way. Um, We haven't addressed, obviously, some of the other issues that are uh, pending, including that uh, kind of relief fund that is long-term ongoing for those small businesses who Mm. have been struggling and to help cover uh, their losses. But uh, the government does want to get this passed, and it looks like timing-wise they're going to try to get this passed before the April mayoral (laughs) by-elections, which leads us to our next couple of stories. Uh, We're going to be talking about how uh, we have more clarity now as to who are going to be the candidates to run in the sole mayoral race on the ruling party side and then on this uh, so-called third zone uh, side of things. We can say right off the bat, no huge surprises here. Let's start with the ruling uh, Democratic Party. Uh, Looks like uh, we have our candidate and it really was not a close race, huh? Yeah, in line with our expectations, uh, former SMEs and Startups Minister Park Yong-san was the winner of the ruling DP's primary by defeating Woo Sang-hoo with total 70% versus 30% vote. And Park was uh, way ahead of Woo in both of the public and party vote by winning 63.5% vote from the party and 72.5% from the public opinion poll. And one of the party members 
members said Park might have won the party vote by a huge margin because the party may have thought that she has a better chance at winning the upcoming Seoul mayoral by-election that is being held following the suicide of former Seoul Mayor Park Won-sun over sexual harassment allegations. She was a reporter and news anchor for NBC from 1982 to 2004 and won her first seat in the National Assembly in 2004 and was re-elected three times. She served as Minister of SMEs and Startups from April 2019, but resigned to run for this Seoul mayoral post. And it is the third time she's running uh, in the Seoul mayoral race. She lost to former Mayor Park Won-sun both times. Right. So she will be the ruling party candidate. As you say, it uh, looks like the voters uh, on the ruling party side decided she had the better chance to mm-hmm. win. I don't know if she was necessarily the most personally favored candidate because nobody really disliked Usango, it doesn't mm. seem like it was just more name recognition. You point out the NBC background, but she has just been in the public eye for such a long yeah. time. Even as a lawmaker, she's been very prominent and had a lot of pro- high profile events, including during those parliamentary hearings mm-hmm. where she was quite um, uh, vocal as well. And then, of course, her role as the SME ministers, uh, widely praised for her uh, effective job she did there. And now, uh, as the third time running, maybe um, there is a sense that this is her turn to uh, finally uh, win this mayoral race. Is she going to win? Uh, it's not clear, and it's not a necessarily easy environment for the government mm, yeah. and the ruling party right now. But uh, she has to figure out, well, not she doesn't have to figure out, the other side has to figure out who's going to be going up against her. It's going to be a complicated process. First, with this so-called uh, third zone Anchersu won, again, no surprise, a primary battle with the uh, former ruling party lawmaker, Kim Tae-sup. Uh, he is still, though, now going to have to uh, come to grips with what agreement they're going to make with the main opposition, PPP, in terms of how they're going to consolidate their candidacy. That's right. No surprise, Anchersu, uh, the minor opposition People's Party leader, won against independent candidate Kim Tae-sup in a public opinion poll earlier yesterday. And as soon as his victory was decided, An said in a Facebook post that once the People Power Party picks its candidate, he will meet him or her immediately, stressing a speedy process to select a final candidate. And PPP's interim leader, Kim Jong-in, told reporters yesterday that a single candidate could not be decided unilaterally. And An has been arguing that he is the most competitive candidate to win the mayoral election against the ruling Democratic Party candidate. But the PPP is questioning his suitability to be the representative of the opposition bloc. And the PPP will pick its candidate on Thursday with former floor leader Na Kyung-won and former Seoul Mayor Oh Se-hoon front, l- front running. Then they are likely to select a final candidate representing the opposition side by March 19, the deadline for candidate registration. Well, um, some of his arguments certainly hold sway. Um, If you look at public opinion polling so far, and we're going to actually look at polling a little bit later on, but An is definitely more competitive against Park Yang-sun than Na Kyung-won is, uh, if you compare the two. The question, though, is... An does not have a support base in terms of politics that the PPP has. The infrastructure is so much bigger on the PPP side, whereas his People's Party really just has himself Mm -hmm. as the main figure. 
if you consolidate, there's going to be a lot of rules and how you're going to figure out how to do it. For example, An Chesu says, let's just do it by name. Like, let's say, An Chesu versus Oh Sehun, An Chesu versus uh, Na Gyeongwon. Who do you pick? Then I think name recognition, most people go, okay, An Chesu, mm-hmm. and that would be giving him an advantage. The PPP side says, no, we want to have it candidate, but the party as well. So An Chesu People's Party, and then Na Gyeongwon, then that would mean, okay, a lot of people will say, oh, I, 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 I have to go with the um, mm. PPP party because Kuminahim has the power to yeah. win this presidency. So that would give advantage to the other side. They're going to have to work out all those little details. It doesn't look like it's going to be easy, but uh, they have no other choice because unless they want Park Young-sun to be able to win this election, which I'm sure they don't, uh, they will have to have one candidate. Uh, We'll see if they can do it. And we'll talk much more about this during our uh, editorial segment in the second hour of the program. Let's turn to some economic news now, Mira. The country's exports almost up 10% compared to the same month a year ago. This is definitely good news for Korea, which is, of course, an export-driven economy. That's right. The Ministry of Trade, Industry and Energy said yesterday that Korea's export jumped 9.5% year-over-year to $44.8 billion last month, extending their gains for the fourth straight month despite shorter business days. Daily exports surged 26.4%, the biggest increase for the month of February. And exports of 11 items out of the country's 15 major export items rose last month. Particularly, memory chip exports increased almost 13.2% to $8.37 billion, keeping the growth momentum for eight straight months and recording the second biggest increase for the month of February. Automobile exports soared 47%, rising more than 40% for two consecutive consecutive months. And in terms of destinations, exports increased to all three of the country's major markets, China, uh, the United States, and the European Union. Imports also rose 13.9% to $42.1 billion, leading to a trade surplus of $2.7 billion. It was the 10th consecutive month for the country to post a trade surplus. So good news all around. Um, There is some optimism going forward as uh, those other countries, uh, including China, United States, and European, as their uh, economies hopefully continue to improve because of their vaccination rollouts and hopefully getting a control of the mm-hmm. COVID-19 pandemic. They will have more consumers able to purchase those kind of goods and then uh, the export rates will continue to rise. This does sound like a topic that um, our professor Yang Jun-suk would cover on Economic Tutor. We'll see if he does uh, tomorrow uh, for us. We got one more story to go and this is more good news, uh, especially for those who are film buffs. The um, historic win of Parasite at the Oscars is something that we all remember. This happened right before, I think, the pandemic hit upon us. And it was just something that was such a short-lived sort of uh, uh, bit of joy. Well, uh, we have another contender uh, this year. This is a Korean-American film, but it's Minari by the uh, Korean-American director. This um, film won Golden Globe's Best Foreign Language Film yesterday. But there was some controversy because, again, I point out, it's a Korean-American film, but it was in the foreign Mm. category, right? 
Yeah, that's right. Minari, a semi-autobiographical story directed by Korean-American director Lee Isaac Chung, or Chung Isaac, won for the best foreign language film at the Golden Globe yesterday. The story is about a Korean-American family seeking an American dream in rural Arkansas during the 1980s, which is based on Chung's own childhood. The film is written by American director and produced by Brad Pitt's agency, Plan B Entertainment, but entered under the foreign language category because of the role of uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association to categorize films more than 50% in a language other, other than English as a foreign language film. So the classification drew controversy of racism and favoritism. And as the film is closely trading, uh, trailing the success of Parasite, uh, which won both Golden Globe and then an Oscar for Best Picture last year, attention is now being paid to the upcoming Oscar nominations, which will be announced on March 15. It is shortlisted for Oscar's two music categories. Right. So there is a shortlist category, which means they have a good shot to get into mm-hmm. that uh, race. However, the question still remains uh, for uh, Minari uh, to follow the same path of Parasite, as Parasite was considered the frontrunner by and large for that foreign film category. It was a question of how many other um, awards they could possibly win. Mm-hmm. I think even the most optimistic um, estimations did not think that they could win overall Best Picture, which it ultimately did. Mm-hmm. To do that two in a row for a Korean-based film <laughs> would be mind-boggling. No. So uh, we're going to have to, I think, uh, temper our expectations mm-hmm. and just hope for the best. Mira, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.